This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Lauren Jacobs here with Voice of Change today. Welcome to the show. I cannot wait. I'm super excited about the show because we're talking about something that is very, very close to my heart and it's a bit of a heavy topic, but my guest is incredible. I'm going to be joined by Jill McAleer. Now, Jill is an attorney whose experience includes extensive public service in both the criminal and in civil law practice. And in January 2008, she actually moved to India to serve as the Deputy Director for the Chennai Field Office of an International Human Rights Organization. While she was living in India for two years, Jill and her husband Brad were exposed to the practice of female gendercide, which is the topic we're going to be talking about today. And so together they founded the Invisible Girl Project. What is the Invisible Girl Project and what is female gendercide? Not genocide, gendercide. Female gendercide is going to be all the topic that we're going to be talking about today. And we're also going to be talking about the reality of Jill and Brad and them founding, you know, the Invisible Girl Project and what they have seen, stories of hope as well. But why there is this mindset that boys are more important than girls or more valuable than girls in India, why this is the case, how this is reality and how this has resulted in a staggering amount of missing girls, tens of millions of girls have just gone missing. Are they really missing? Not really, because it's not that we don't know where they are, but that they are routinely aborted simply because they are female. This is not uh, abortion like we talk about pro-life or pro-choice. It's not that conversation. This is about a conversation around routinely killing a specific gender simply because they're born that gender. We actually see this happen twice. It's spoken about in the Bible. You know, when Jesus was born and Herod declared that all the baby boys under a certain age needed to be killed because of that prophecy of Messiah coming. We also see this in Exodus with with the Pharaoh when he said that all the baby boys had to be killed. And then we had the midwives who were saving the Israelite children and disobeying Pharaoh. That was a reality of male gendercide. But today on the show, I'm joined by Jill McAleer, and we're going to be talking about female gendercide in India. Yes, this is happening. So yes, please stay tuned for the next hour to be with myself and Jill. You will feel challenged, but you will also be educated and informed. And that's what we should be. So Jill joins me after this. Jill, it is so good to have you with me today. I know that we caught up on something extremely important, which is going to be something we're talking about today, female gender side. And we caught up, you know, quite a couple of years ago, just when COVID was sort of around and starting up. And it's so weird how we refer to life like that now. You know, oh, that was before COVID or that was after COVID is kind of what was that huge moment. And I know we caught up, so it was a couple of years ago. I'm excited to hear what's been happening. And again, just to raise this awareness on genocide in India. Now, before we get into that, though, Jill, so good to have you with me today. So excited. We're going to have a lot to talk about. So welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren. It's great to hear your voice and to be back with you on your show again. Thank you so much for inviting me back. And especially after these years, you're right. It was during COVID when we spoke before and how life has changed, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. So um, it's great to just talk to you. I'm glad you're well and it's good to be back on here. Thank you. Mm, it's such a pleasure. I'm glad that we can do this. And it's almost like a sense, I have such a sense of gratitude as well, just to reconnect and to hear what's been happening. And I know that India specifically was so dramatically affected by COVID, by what was happening. And we saw, you know, so many people lost their lives, lost loved ones. It was just crazy. But when we talk about gendercide and we talk about female gendercide uh, and we talk about it in India, for maybe those who are listening who have maybe never heard that term before and they think, are you talking about genocide? What is gendercide? How would you describe this to people who have never heard this term before? Mm. Female gendercide is the systematic mass killing of girls simply because they're female. In India specifically, there are 63 million girls and women who are just missing from the population, just missing from the Mm. population because they've been systematically discriminated against and killed or trafficked and have just gone missing or married off as child brides and then forced to get pregnant and produce a son uh, at the age of 12. And unfortunately, their little bodies can't carry these children. And so they go missing. And so you see that this is really a problem in India where there are 63 million, and that's according to the Indian government, 63 million girls and women who are missing from India's population due to female gender side. Mm. It's always very intense listening to that when, you know, sometimes it's a statistic and we go 63 million and uh, that number doesn't almost register and it's a huge number and it's a huge reality facing girls in India, facing girls in China. And we're not going to be touched on China today, but particularly India. Now, when we talk about, because people probably listening will go, wow, so this is the mass killing of baby girls. How does this actually happen? You know, are they just, if if we talk about missing girls, are we just talking about they just get lost somewhere? They just get all trafficked. They're all just married off. Or maybe people have heard about honor killings in India, which happen a lot. How does this actually take place? How does female genocide take place? And when we hear the word genocide, we also know that there are sex selective abortions that take place. And I think people need to hear how this actually happens and what women actually face. And and even young girls that you referenced that fall pregnant at a young age because they married as child brides. How does this take place? That's a great question, Lauren. So what we have seen uh, through my work at Invisible Girl Project and our mission at Invisible Girl Project is to save girls' lives to end female gender side in Mm -hmm. India, because we recognize that this is such a huge problem in India. So we are focused exclusively on India because as being really the largest democracy in the world, and also because India recognizes that it has a problem with this, we uh, are working to combat it there. Mm -hmm. So with that said, you're right. It can't be a statistic. We, We look at a number so big as 63 million, and we have to remember that those are lives. Those are individual lives that are being taken, and they're taken in many ways. Uh, you mentioned 
feticide. That is sex selective abortion. And it is illegal in India to have an abortion because you've learned that you're pregnant with a girl. Hmm. In fact, the Indian government recognized that it had such a problem with this discrimination, this female gender side, that it made uh, it illegal to have an ultrasound when you're pregnant to find out whether you're having a boy or girl. Mm-hmm. And so like, I remember I'm a mom of two girls myself. And I remember here in the United States um, getting pregnant and I had already worked in India and moved back to the States. And so my, my friends in India asked me specifically, like when I found out I was first pregnant years ago, they said, are you going to find out whether you're having a boy or a girl? Or are you going to do it mm-hmm. the Indian way? Because in India, you cannot find out whether you're having a boy or girl because people systematically will abort their female babies because Mm. they're having a girl and they want a son instead. So sex selective abortion is the first real large um, problem that we see that's affecting why there are girls and women who are just missing from India's population. Mm. The second is female infanticide. And baby girls, when they're born, are still being killed in India today simply because they're female and they're unwanted. They're perceived as burdens. And we can talk about more of that, of like why they're perceived as burdens. But that's the second thing that we see um, that contributes to female gender side in India. So female infanticide, uh, then a gl- neglect, abandonment, just again, because um, she's a girl. There's actually... Uh, a little girl named Amalia. And we told her story around Christmas on Invisible Girl Project social media. Mm-hmm. And she's one of three daughters to her family. She's the oldest girl. And her father didn't want her uh, just because she's a girl and then didn't want her sisters and abandoned his family after abusing his wife for quote unquote, giving him daughters. Mm-hmm. And so we see that when Uh, families don't have help when little girls are abandoned or neglected simply because they're daughters, um, that they can be harmed or ultimately um, die from this. And Mm. so we work to fight that and to save girls and prevent them from being um, abandoned or neglected or abused. Mm. So that's another um, way that girls have gone missing in India's population. Another is again, through child marriage, when you're forcing Mm. a girl who's nine, 10, 11, 12 to get married, they do, they can just go missing, right? Their lives are, are, are worth nothing. Um, if they die, then, um, the husband might just try and find another wife. And we've seen that we've heard stories that are horrendous about young girls being forced to be married at such young ages and then, and then dying, um, Mm. because they're trying get pregnant and and have a child and don't have the health care that they need. And they're too young. Their bodies are too young. Mm. And so, and then sex trafficking, uh, young women are trafficked into brothels. And again, as child brides in India, because we know that there are so many girls and women who are missing from the population. And what, what has resulted in that is that there are 37 million more men than women in India's population. So there are 37 million men who will never be married Hmm. uh, and who will then potentially look for companionship in brothels or, or um, have girls uh, trafficked to them in order to be able to be married. And so we see trafficking from other countries into small villages or from other villages across India into these villages where there are all men and there are no women to be married. And Hmm. so 
these are all contributors to female gender side. And has again, these things have resulted in 37 million more men than women in India's population. Now you mentioned China, Lauren. Hmm. China has the same numbers as India. We hear about it in the Western world that this is going on in China, but India has a problem that is absolutely as severe as China. Hmm. 37 million more men than women in the population. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about China, I also think, you know, there was a fight for a very long time to get rid of the one child policy in China, because that was contributing to, like you said, as well, that population deficit, all the like hardly any woman, all these men, what's going to happen? You know, no one's going to be able to get married. There's no woman. And the, the Chinese government suddenly realizing, okay, actually we have a major problem and we have an aging population. And so we don't have, you know, marriages and, and, you know, fresh married couples and people doing these normal things that they got rid of the one child policy, but it comes back down to, and it's exactly what's happening in India, mindset, culture. You can't just get rid of a, a law and expect that now suddenly everyone's just going to stop doing this these practices. And that's the thing. How do we work to change the culture and the mindset about girls? And particularly, yeah, that was touching on China, but particularly in India, but it, it does relate to China. But you know, when we are dealing with patriarchy and deeply rooted kind of cultural norms and practices, customs that maybe have been there for decades, uh, you know, your grandparents and their parents going, well, boys are more valuable than girls because girls are also going to get married and then they're going to go contribute to their husband's family. So we are losing, you know, financially and we're not going to educate girls. We're not going to do this. These are like these customs and cultural norms that are deeply held. How do we work and how do you face that in working to change long-standing thought patterns that I'm sure when challenged are often very difficult for people to kind of accept. Mm, you're so right. So you, we do see, right, that this is a mindset that has been accepted culturally for, frankly, centuries, if not millennia. Mm. And so we know that we have to change that mindset, that we have to create a social demand for change within India, that this can't be something that's socially acceptable anymore. Mm. And it's interesting because over the years in doing this work, uh, we have uh, people from all across the globe who have really raised their voices in championing our cause and what we're doing. I have a dear friend who actually is a model and she is one of the faces and one of the ambassadors for L'Oreal Paris. Mm. And she's from India and she is a spokesperson for Invisible Girl Project, loves our work, really advocates for what we do. And she said, Jill, what we have to do is we have to get to the root. And that is just the mindset that girls are not valuable. She said, that's really hard though, because it is just something that has been ingrained through patriarchy in the culture for so long. And so that's what we're working to change, right? So we want to rescue girls individually. And in our history at Invisible Girl Project, we prevent girls from being killed. Um, We save babies from infanticide. We help mothers who might be pressured into having abortions when they don't want to. Mm. We help girls who are vulnerable to being trafficked. We prevent them from becoming one of India's missing. And so 
on a small level, particularly in a country of 1.3 or 4 billion people, we in, at Invisible Girl Project have been able to rescue over 900 little girls mm. from being killed and from becoming India's missing daughters. But with that said, we know that we have to address a cultural mindset. And so it's interesting, Lauren, we talked about how we talked at the beginning of COVID. What happened during COVID and Invisible Girl Project was that we really worked closely with the government. Uh, we had an opportunity in, in working with Indian government to address police officers uh, on the laws that protect girls from being married off as child brides. Mm -hmm. India still has the largest child bride population in the world. 27% of girls who um, are married get married before the age of 18 in India. And so with that said, when COVID started, we had some government officials reach out to our staff on the ground and said, look, we realize that child marriage rates may increase because of COVID. Mm -hmm. We want the police to know the laws that are in place that will prevent girls from being uh, married illegally. We want to save these girls. And so what we started that time, we, we ended up writing a curriculum based on our years of experience and our knowledge. And we trained police officers. I remember the first training that our staff did on the field was about 40 people, 40 police officers. And our staff taught them the laws in place to protect girls. Mm -hmm. And when, when they were asked if they knew the laws that were in place, only one police officer out of the 40 raise wow. the hand that they did. And so not only do we have to work on changing the cultural mindset, this is acceptable. We have to educate on the laws that are in place that protect girls. Mm -hmm. And so what has happened is we've rolled out what we call our teaching and transforming program. It's, it's an awareness initiative that we now have in India. Uh, we recognize the importance of raising global awareness about this issue. And that's why it's so important that you have me on your show. And I'm mm. so thankful to be here, but also awareness in India, because just like out of those police officers, they didn't even know that there were laws in place to protect girls because this has been so socially acceptable for so mm. long. We know that we have to reach the masses in India. So on a micro level, we're doing that individually with girls, saving over 900 girls' lives. But then on a macro level, we are going out and reaching thousands of people, teaching them that female gendercide is wrong, mm. teaching them the laws in place that protect girls, teaching them that girls are valuable. We share stories from the field, stories like girls, a, a girl named Kieran. Um, she was a young girl in her village, and she was the first girl ever in this village to be able to be educated. She had a family just that believed in her and yeah. her father allowed her to go on to 11th grade and 12th grade and then go on to attend college. She got a, a terrific job after school, after she graduated and she made more money in the village than anybody else. Mm. And so all these other families are seeing, wait a second, look at Kieran. She's making all this money. She makes more than I do does this mean that my daughter could actually get an education too and could do well and support her herself, could support help support our family? It, it was like something that had never occurred to them before, but they needed to see that mm. this was a possibility. And so we call that the Kieran effect. And we let these families know mm. the potential that girls have. And even though it's been ingrained in them for if, if centuries or potentially even millennia, that, that girls... Um, are really burdens, we, we tell these families, we tell people and teach them through our teaching and transforming curriculum that girls should have opportunity and they should yeah. be treated as equals. 
And I love that you were saying it is about seeing. It's also about them being able in the village to see her and to see what is happening. And I think that that inspires that change. I was reminded while you were talking of, you know, something that happened a couple of years ago in Afghanistan before the Taliban took over Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. in 2021, which has really destroyed everything that, you know, was being worked on for so long. But I remember, you know, there was such a movement and just people really trying to educate families in Afghanistan about sending their girls to school. And it was becoming uh, this revolution where girls were going to school. And one of the ways that this mindset was changed was actually through Sesame Street, where they had a puppet, uh, if I remember correctly, her name was Zuri, and she wore a hijab, which some people feel obviously is not a good thing. But to come and to work in a culture you know, you have to understand the culture and be part of the culture. She wore this hijab, but she went to school, the puppet, and she spoke about school. And actually, they found a huge spike and increase of people, and especially fathers, sending their daughters to school after being exposed to Zuri on Sesame Street. And it was about coming from within the culture, not like, you know, creating a westernized puppet to address something that was happening, but creating something that could be seen from within the culture, having an Afghan woman voice the puppet. And it was, it created that revolution before the Taliban took over in 2021. And now it's just all gone backwards. But I know. Oh, I love that so much. I love that. And that's really, isn't that about meeting people where they are? Yeah. And um, just determining what they need to see and hear, and then uh, taking the time to to really invest in, in showing them a different way. And that's really what we try and do mm-hmm. in India. And we have a team of partners and social workers who are on the field. They're grassroots, community-based Indian people who uh, go into villages to determine girls who are at risk of being harmed by female gendercide, but then also educating, educating Mm. families on the value of girls. Mm. And so through our teaching and transforming program last year alone, we reached uh, six over 6,500 people. And uh, the goal this year is uh, 25,000. We want to reach at least 25,000, if not more. And we're just uh, increasing that goal every year because we know that we have to reach the masses if we're mm-hmm. really going to have a dent mm-hmm. in female gender side in, yeah. in curbing it in India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that. I love what you were saying about meeting people where they are. And I think it's so impactful and so powerful. We're going to take a really quick music break. Don't go anywhere because Jill and I are still going to be continuing this conversation. There's so much more that we want to share with you. So stay tuned and see you after the song. You're with me, Lauren Jacobs, on Voice of Change today. And my guest that has been with me is Jill McAleer, and she is from the Invisible Girl Project. We have been talking in to the reality of gendercide, female gendercide that is happening in India and what this is about, how it takes place, what is actually happening, but then also the vision to impact and create change. And Jill, something I wanted to ask you, you know, with the, like we said before we went to the music break and earlier on on the show, we are dealing also with a mindset. We're also dealing with culture. We're also dealing with, you know, 
maybe things that have been handed down for generations and generations of where it is the mindset of what girls are and, you know, they should be a certain way. And when I was reading about female genocide in India and in China, I came across a number of sayings that, you know, proverbs, like we would call them, that are said in India, like a Hindi saying that says, a daughter's a burden on her father's head. Or a Rajasthani saying, when a girl is born, that they say, oh, a thief has come. Or a Chinese saying that says, it's more profitable to raise geese than to raise a girl. And another Chinese (laughs) saying is that a daughter is a thief. Now, these are real proverbs and real sayings, and people could just write them off and go, oh, you know, but that that was probably taught by like the ancestors like long ago. Those things don't really matter anymore. But we, we are talking, and like we've said at the beginning, that these are cultural norms and longstanding thoughts that are having to be challenged. And I wanted to ask you, these sayings, these thoughts, these customs, these cultures about girls in India, how is this actually and how have you seen this impact girls and women, how they see themselves? Because girls and women who live in India, obviously, I mean, you're surrounded by a culture that doesn't really see you as an equal, doesn't see you as being a source of blessing and joy. Do you find that women in India and even young girls have an impact on their self-esteem and on their sense of self-worth because of this reality? And that that is also something that needs to kind of be built up into the women and the girls of India. Mm. Yes, of course, Lauren, we see that. I mean, when, okay, so let's imagine, right? Um, that we've been told from the time that we're little as girls that you wish you would, you know, your parents wish you were never born, uh, that you're a burden, that your parents wish you were a boy because you would be able to take care of the family then, that you're worthless. These are all things that are told to little girls in India. Mm -hmm. It's an injustice. It's an injustice because girls are inherently valuable, created in God's image too, right? Yeah. And so, um, of course, it affects their self-esteem and it affects their worth. I remember a couple of years ago, it was right before COVID started, I was in India visiting and I was at a school uh, for girls. And there were about 150 little girls in this room. They're sitting on the floor in like this auditorium space. And uh, I greeted them and it was just so exciting to be their guest and just see their little faces. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, as I was talking to them, I said, raise your hand if you've ever been told that a boy is more important than you. And every single little girl raised her hand. Everyone. That's just wrong, right? That's wrong. And so we know we have to combat that. That's an injustice. And so because this is such a grave injustice and because God loves little girls in India, we know that we have to work to change that mindset. And so what we're doing is not only reaching these girls who we, uh, first of all, when we rescue girls, these 900 girls we've rescued, we put them all in our aftercare program and That includes putting them in a child sponsorship program where we then get a sponsor 
from somewhere in the Western world to support these girls, either if they're a baby, it's like $20 US per month. If it's an older girl, it's $50 US per month because it helps send her to school and it provides all the girl's needs. It provides her education as well as counseling from our social workers who are instilling in these girls that they are inherently valuable, no matter what they have been told or no matter what they've seen, no matter what abuse or trauma they've endured, they absolutely are valuable. And so we're doing that with our individual girls. But again, through our program, that's called the Teaching and Transforming Program. We're working again to, to teach families that girls are valuable, but also to teach boys that girls yeah. are valuable, yeah. right? Exactly. We have to reach these boys. And and one way we want to do that, because we've seen, again, that, that girls' self-esteem absolutely is affected. We know that we have to raise a greater awareness throughout India, and we're doing that through social media. And also, um, we are using our teaching and transforming program to go into universities and teach these young people, because think of the technology that they have available in their hands, right? Yeah, They can help raise awareness and spread awareness. And you see with this younger generation, there's a little bit of that mentality that they are going to, um, what I've seen certainly in India, that they are, they're going to challenge the system. Mm. They are yeah. not going to just accept what's been told to them. And through our program, when we go into these universities, we ask all of them to begin with, you know, especially women, have you ever been made to feel less than because you're a girl or a woman? And the data that we've collected shows us that, yes, they have. By the end of our, uh, our session with them, we ask all the girls and the boys to take a pledge to fight female gender side. Hmm stand up for each other, to stand up for the value of girls. And we've seen that our percentages are absolutely phenomenal, that the people who are listening and the people who pledge to make an impact and to help us really instill that girls are valuable um, in their own generation and then the generations to come, it, the percentages of people who hear our, our teaching and then go on to make that pledge are phenomenal in the 90s um, because we know that we just really need to educate and we need mm. to reinforce that girls are valuable mm. and really fight what has been told them for years. Mm. And I'm thinking of when you're talking about the younger generation, I'm thinking, obviously, I'm a huge sport fan, which I'm sure you probably are as well. I am too. Most Americans are, right? And so I love that. I love, I love that. I love, love, love it. And, uh, you know, obviously, we probably watch different kinds of sport, right? But I love watching cricket, like, because obviously cricket is such a big uh, game here in South Africa. Uh But I actually love cricket too. Oh, well, okay. So I do, I do. That is, that is interesting (laughs) and really cool. And, uh, you know, uh, we had the inaugural uh, Women's Premier League that took place in India this year which you probably might have known about. But, I mean, the the men's Premier League has been going for a very long time. I mean, they just play their thousandth match. But for Mm -hmm. such a long time, the women in India have been fighting for that equality, have been fighting for their own Premier League, have been fighting to be recognized. And it's taken a very long time in the work of so many. And finally, we had this inaugural Women's Premier League in India where the women of India were playing their own cricket alongside of international players but my point is that there were so many girls whose stories I started following young Indian players they also came here when we had the World Cup here this year and so many young Indian players they won the under 19 World Cup and their stories Jill 
was like mm. they have experienced exactly what we're talking about as well. Mm. And, you know, they, though, they are making such a huge impact and are the face of our present and future in India. And they are also really working to create change for other girls and saying, you know what, my mom was single, my dad left us. She was this farmer. She used to just collect grain and help me become where I am today. Now I'm a cricket player internationally. And <laughs> you, you and I both know that, that mom must have been through so much to be able to do that for her daughter. And so there is that hope for change. And that's the final thing, uh, you know, before we, we end the show and as we wrap up together our time, it's been such a blessing again, you know, is there hope for change in your heart? Obviously I'm sure you believe there's hope for change. Do you see things changing? I know that you spoke about Kieran earlier on is things changing and can we get kind of hopeful and fired up that things can change in India for women and girls, even though we might not know them or ever meet them or ever see them, we care about them because they are made in God's image and they are loved by Christ. And so is there hope for change today? And do you Mm -hmm. see that happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the thing. We know that as followers of Christ, nothing is impossible for God. Mm. And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, why India? Why do you care about India? Well, Lauren, you know, my story, we lived there. That is also why I like cricket because I lived in (laughs) India for a while. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, and and God called us to do this mission in India. We care so much about girls in India because he's really laid it on our hearts. And I just want to ask your listeners tonight, like if you've been touched at all. If you didn't know about this issue of female genocide in India, if you've been touched at all, knowing that God is a God of justice and that he loves girls in India, Hmm. nothing is too impossible for him. You know, he wants these, he cares about them so much. He wants them to live lives in which they feel that they are valued, you know, in which they will be protected and safe. And Mother Teresa, to paraphrase her, she said, you know, if I cast a stone across waters, it's just like one stone, but it Hmm. can create many ripples. And we really see that. We see that across India, whether it's, again, through these IPL players Hmm. um, who are young women who are speaking out or through young people just on social media who are beginning to raise up their voices or through our own girls. So here's a little story for you. It's, it's about a girl named Alia. And, um, it shows you that we are having an impact, that there can be even greater impact and, and that ripple effect can come. So Alia, um, was young, so smart, was going to school. She was like 11, 12 years old, always, as they say in India, the class topper, she was, uh, always did really well, had excellent grades at the top of her class. And, um, when she was 12, her, her parents were going to force her to be married. And Mm. she didn't want to get married. She wanted to go on to school. She wanted to go on to high school and then to university. And uh, so as her impending marriage became closer and as the date was looming, she had heard about our partner, one of our partners who was working nearby, and that our partner had helped rescue other girls who were in the same situation. So Alia one night snuck out of her house and she walked 12 kilometers barefoot to find our partner and mm. ask for help. Mm. When she arrived to the village where our partner was headquartered, she did, she found our partner's office and she explained her story. She knew that she was going to be forced to be married 
And she just asked, will you please save me from marriage? I don't want to get married. I want to go to school. And that's what our partner did. Hmm. We placed Alia in a safe house where she was not going to be forced to get married. We placed her in our child sponsorship program so that someone in the Western world could sponsor her, supporting her monthly to ensure that she's educated. And that was a number of years ago. I met Alia. It was pre-COVID and she just sat down and she told me her rescue story, her story of hope and redemption and how grateful she was to Invisible Girl Project and our partners. Hmm. Fast forward to January this this year, um, I just saw Alia again um, and I hadn't seen her since before COVID, right? And now she's grown up. And she's going to university and she's so brilliant. And she is just a fireball to you. She knows that she's valuable. She knows that she has an opportunity she would not have had otherwise. She has hope that not only she can have a future, but that she can help be a change agent in India for other girls. Yeah. We see that happening with our own 900 girls that we've rescued, but we also see that with the girls that they're impacting and the people that they're going to school with. So it truly is a ripple effect. And there is hope that is rising in India, not only Mm -hmm. with the work we're doing, but again, with other people who are raising their voices and saying, helping create awareness about this issue and saying that we're not going to tolerate this anymore. This Mm -hmm. injustice must be stopped. We Mm -hmm. have to start valuing girls, daughters as equals. Amen. Jill, I want to say thank you so much for your time today, for being with me. And at the end of the show, to all of my listeners, I'm going to be giving you all the details on how to connect with the Invisible Golf Project. But Jill, thank you so much. This has been an incredible blessing. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks again for having me. And um, I'm so grateful that you're going to share our information. Again, so much of... I do love that Jill and I could end off with sharing stories of hope and hearing the names of these incredible young girls that have been rescued and then their stories on their journeys and how they are making a difference in their community and the girls that get to go to school and have that education and with that also like jill was sharing with us you know when this when this happens other people in the village other people in the town begin to see actually wow look at what does happen when we care about our daughters when we educate girls they actually get good jobs and they are earning more than we are so maybe there's something to it and if i educate my daughter or i you know become a champion for her things can change and that is our prayer and that is our hope Whenever I talk about gender side, and I just wrote an article on gender side just last week, and whenever I talk about gender side, anybody that hears about it and reads about it or even listens, maybe, you know, even this has been your experience today, everybody always says, why don't we know about this? We're talking 100 million little girls across India, across China. We're talking about, well, the number is way more than 100 million if we're talking about China and India combined. But we know that that is just also the numbers that we know of. There's many girls who have been aborted or sometimes killed by their own families after their birth. 
and we may never know their names or their stories or that they even were there but God does know and I know that sometimes when we talk about genocide we often go why is this still happening and it's happening because people are terrible in that country and I don't want anything to do with people there and the people's there they bad their thoughts are bad but you know it challenges us to think in our own lives about what we believe why do I say that well I say that because the big point of gender side is cultural belief systems and mindsets over who is valuable and who is not and though it is a fact of gender side where young baby girls are being killed simply because they are female and there is this lean towards male children we realize that these things speak to us as well how do we treat girls and women how do we see girls and women how do we see girls and women in the the workforce in the business place in the sporting realm in the fact of equal pay or the fact of how do we treat our, our female colleagues how do we treat young girls what are the messages we teach to our daughters how do we teach boys and girls if we're a school teacher how do we treat them differently in the classroom how are we perpetuating mindsets that say one person is more valuable than the other person simply because of who God intended them to be male or female so we have to ask ourselves as well what is the internal narratives that we speak what is the internal truths that we speak to ourselves and to our children and to others when we're standing around the bride what is the messages that we are giving and that we have been given about men and women about boys and girls daughters and sons that is a challenge and that is something we could talk about for a very very long time but my prayer today is that you have heard enough about gender side for your heart to be stirred to go and do some more research do and hop on over to the invisible girl project on social media and just follow the stories of the girls that they are rescuing and saving and also most importantly pray 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 and pray that this can be undone in india and that girls will be seen as valuable it's been so great to be with you today god bless and see you next time This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.